I want to start this podcast off with a poem that I wrote regarding the nature of losing one's voice. Here's that poem. The mind's flame struggles to stay ablaze as the ever-growing mountain continues to heighten. The oxygen thins, the flame, placed at the peak of the mountain, cries for a means to carry on. You wonder why the mountain is there, where it came from and why it continues to grow. You notice that it is causing great strain on the flame, yet the flame still prospers. How will the mind accept the reality in which it rests? resting where its flame is clogged, its voice dampened. How will the mind reveal its flame if there is an ever-growing mountain preventing it from truly expressing its identity? I'm Alvaro Caravaca, and I'm here today to talk to you about finding hope through the physically demanding nature of musicianship. Like a flame struggling to stay ablaze, musicians around the world continue to suffer an ongoing battle of fluent expression through whatever means they choose. There's a gap that needs to be bridged from the mind to the instrument that can be stunted by the very nature of a musician's body. It can be a truly frustrating experience, given that one is essentially singing into a microphone that's volume is determined by chance. There is a worry that one's voice will not be heard. Hope. There is hope within the confines of the mind's flame. It is a matter of overcoming such an obstacle so that one will prevail and inspire others. The question lies in where one will derive a powerful enough force to tread on. In other words, how does the musician who has suffered or continues to suffer from a mental or physical roadblock find the necessary motivation and conviction to proceed? To answer this question, I have two special guests joining me to share their stories and discuss how they managed to keep their inner flame alive. Jackie Lee comes from a musical family based in Montclair, New Jersey. At 16 years of age, she has already developed an authentic jazz style which reflects her love for violinist Stuff Smith and saxophonist Sonny Stitt. As a working musician, she has performed at famed venues such as the Jazz Standard located in New York City, Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola at the Jazz at Lincoln Center, Caramore Jazz Festival, Bemelman's Bar at the Carlisle Hotel, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, and the Montclair Jazz Festival. She has studied with Regina Carter and Sarah Caswell and is a longtime student at Jazz House Kids and currently studies at the MSM Pre-College. My parents are very involved in my playing because they are also musicians and they kind of understand not from themselves but from their friends and co-workers how an injury like this could affect someone's entire career. So my my mom was just kind of like immediately like a week after it didn't get better like the pain that I was experiencing 
she was just kind of like, you can't play. And I was like, cool. So I just was not allowed to play for like two weeks. Trying to figure out literally just what to do with myself was really hard. And for about a week, I just didn't really do anything. I mean, I tried, I listened more, I guess. But I was kind of just like, you know, just like sad and like watching like bad reality TV shows in my bed and just like being there because I just didn't know, you know, what to do. But after that, I kind of started being like, well, I need to do something like I can't just like sit here and be on my phone all the time. So I kind of like started listening a lot more. Like, even if I was still on my phone, like, doing whatever stupid stuff I do on my phone, I would be listening, I would make a conscious effort to be having some music on, you know? And, like, really, I think everyone in my school kind of, like, all my teachers kind of don't like me now because I just am always have an earbud in. It's just I'm just always listening to music. And I think it just really changed how I play like once I once I was able to go to physical therapy I think it really changed just because I'm thinking more about like what people have done before me and what it is musically over technically which is what I was doing before I don't I don't know if I've ever like coped with it I think I just kind of figured out like when I when I play violin when I use my pinky finger which we call the fourth finger when we're playing like I noticed that that made it hurt more so I kind of like stopped doing that I started thinking more like oh how can I do this in a technical sense so that I don't use my fourth finger as much like all that type of stuff so I don't think I, I and I'll, I'll, honestly like I like we were talking before like, I didn't really give myself a chance to be like, oh, I have this potentially career-changing injury. I was just kind of like, okay, I guess I'll kind of stop and I'll kind of try to know my limits. But I'm still going to play. It's just It comes from the just need to be doing music and need to be playing and stuff. That it's just kind of like, I kind of ignore it, but I also know how important it is to take care of myself and how important it is to continue playing so it's it's really a toss-up but you know just like I think being committed and being like doing the stuff that I can do when I'm not playing like singing or transcribing or playing piano or doing whatever I can do you know help me get through it and not really linger on it because I think if I lingered on it I would honestly just be so sad and that just wouldn't be productive to be completely honest, when I first thought I couldn't play for however long, I didn't know how well the physical therapy would work once we got it. I didn't know anything. So once I thought I couldn't play, I kind of thought I'm not going to get any better. You know, college auditions are kind of looming for me being a junior right now and having those in like a few months doing my pre-screenings for my dream schools that I've been wanting to go to since I was <laughs> tiny. Um, <laughs> it, it's just like, like the fear that I wouldn't improve in that time and fear that I wouldn't be good enough because that's always been something that I've struggled with is thinking that I won't be good enough. I think a lot of people who are musicians struggle with that. It's just comes it kind of comes with the territory. Hmm. So thinking that I couldn't get better really, really 
I think is what held me back in that like first week or two that I couldn't really play. But like, I just kind of, you know, like I was saying before, listened to whatever I could all of the time, just lots of jazz, obviously, but like also just stuff that I was like, this is really cool. Like, like funk or R&B or whatever other music that has its origins in jazz, you know, was all helpful for me to learn. And honestly, like singing and just doing all of this stuff just really, really helped me. And then by the end, and I didn't think I was really getting better. Like I didn't think I was improving at all, but by the end, by the time that I could play again, by the time I had that jam session right after my physical therapy session, like I was doing stuff that I hadn't done before. I was thinking a different way musically and I couldn't even tell you how it happened. Like, cause I still thought, oh, I'm repeating all the same stuff. I'm just doing all the same thing because our perception of how we're doing is so skewed. But afterwards, everyone who I knew was telling me, like all my family members who are musicians who were there were just telling me how different I sounded and how much more unique I was sounding and how much more I sounded like a voice, which is all what we're all trying to do, obviously, on our instrument is to imitate singing and the human voice. So doing so much of that And honestly, I was doing exercises where I was, like, playing, like, a blues, like, a blues backing track on my phone and, like, singing something and then playing it back to myself on the violin because that was a little bit less strenuous on me, you know? So doing stuff like that just made me more authentically my own musician and not just spitting up these licks which is amazing for development is learning licks learning transcriptions everything i think it's incredibly important and i would not be half the musician i am right now if i didn't do those things but being able to take all of that you know and make it your own and make it like your own voice you know i don't think i was doing that as much before and i've always had good ears but i was never doing that you know so having to sing and having to be my own musician was like really made me a lot better so like I think for anyone who else who's going through something like this it's like knowing that you can still get better and you can still pursue this even if it's a like career ending injury on Jackie's story, we learn about the importance of adaptability and acceptance of our limits as human beings. We learn to adapt through strengthening other aspects of our being when one aspect is on standby or needs a break. You might find yourself in a situation in which you will need to be patient with your body, to be patient with the very process that only time allows for revitalization. Although Jackie's hands were struggling to share the very voice that she had spent countless hours developing. She realized that her mind was still strengthening, which allowed her to continue with learning and experimenting. This newfound skill of awareness can provide a lot of musicians with the closure that not all hope is lost when something doesn't necessarily go to plan. To paraphrase one of my mentors, musical development is not a linear process, however, overall you will find that it tends to go up. This conversation was brought up when I mentioned that I was struggling with 
my embouchure, which is basically the way that I set up for um, putting the mouthpiece to my face, playing the trumpet. But I was struggling having had a switch um, from the way I usually played since middle school, sorry, since elementary school, actually. Um, I would uh, play which, what they would call on the red, which is essentially um, the majority of the mouthpiece was in my lower lip when it was supposed to be mostly evenly distributed amongst both the top half and bottom half of my lips. So, you know, this brought up a lot of problems um, in my high school career uh, playing the trumpet. And it was it was very discouraging at times. There was another issue that was brought up and I was feeling unmotivated to uh, make it past this this particular issue because I felt like I was going backwards. I had lost a lot of the range that um, I had worked hard doing long tones and doing these exercises to keep, and it essentially just went away one day. Um, and it, it really only took the reassurance from um, a couple of my teachers basically saying um, that with the brass instrument, and this can be applied to many other um, aspects of life, not just playing brass, um, but playing brass particularly, there's going to be bad days and there's going to be good days. Um, but as long as you are practicing and you're practicing diligently and intelligently, you'll find that uh, the range will eventually come back. That, that like metaphorically speaking, the range will come back and, the range, and it'll be uh, more fruitful than before. And this is not just applicable to brass. It's also applicable to other aspects of life. Whenever you have something that will take a lot of practice or a lot of preparation in order to overcome or in order to complete, um, we have to understand that not always is it going to be a fluid process, uh, not always is it going to be start to finish, or that the, uh, the, the, the finish line will be visible, right? There's going to be a lot of twists and turns on the path that you're taking, uh, and we have to just understand that this is a very real thing, right? The Having certainty in musicianship, having certainty in life, is something that's not typically offered to everyone. You know, our, our paths aren't guaranteed. Sure, there's going to be people that um, you, you might feel, oh, they got, they, they, it seems like they got everything... Well, in line, they have everything organized, and it seems like it's going in a direction. It's a predetermined direction. Sure, there's people that you can, there's times where you can set up uh, your life to be in that manner, but there's also um, a lot of variables within that um, that we have to take into consideration, and that we have to not get discouraged by when these variables do prevent uh, present themselves. Right, so. There is just the nature of life in itself. Nature is somewhat unforgiving in a manner where, you know, you can get hurt and mistakes do happen and accidents do happen. And it's it's here where we need we, we end up developing a certain patience, right? So there's two paths we could take. It's one is where um, we essentially become closed off and almost succumb to 
the grueling reality of our predicament, uh, which if in my case, for example, it would have been where I simply did not attempt to try a different embouchure. embouchure. It's essentially just becoming, um, for lack of a better term, uh, a victim of you know, our circumstance. Um, but then there is the other path that can be taken that is overcoming it or essentially just accepting um, the reality of it, right? But it's not, it is not giving up hope for what can still be achieved, right? Because we have to look at both angles. We have to, we have to think, okay, is this within reason? Um, can I, am I going to be able to get back to where I want to be? Uh, you know, if I'm looking at it from like a holistic um, approach, you know, I'm looking at all these different factors, then it is also trying to break those boundaries. And, um, you know, it is pushing forward regardless of the circumstance, right? So uh, life might throw certain obstacles at you, but it is this reassurance that no matter what, you're going to be able to get through it, right? So if it, if it happens to be a disease or any sort of hurdle that's going to prevent you from doing what you want to do, we have to figure out ways to get around that. And we have to never give up on trying to find different angles, trying to talk to different people, um, trying to brainstorm and just be innovative in the way that we approach solving issues and approach, um, you know, expanding our minds and exp and expanding our the capabilities that we have of our bodies, right? So it's those things um, that are going to allow us to proceed past these obstacles, you know, and to go further on the the topic of certainty. Um, it's just understanding that, you know, we are not regressing. Um, it's similar to a muscle almost. It's, um, you know, a muscle is essentially being torn whenever it's, uh, whenever you work out or do intense physical activity, the very fibers that are being used to complete the task are being ripped and torn in the process. But we also have to realize that, you know, with the proper nourishment and the proper rest, these fibers will grow back stronger. Um, and then you'll be able to do it again and again. And it's gonna, there's going to be little dips in the, in, in, the, in the graph, right? So the line is going to go up and then it's going to go down, then it's going to go up and go down. So these are necessary setbacks for us to keep going forward. And if we approach it like that, then... I believe that it's a lot easier to be going through the dips, right? Because it's still it's still a tough time, uh, you know, when when you are at the end of a session or if you feel exhausted after um, practicing or you feel exhausted after not being able to do something that you've been trying to do, right? But it's also allowing for the time, the necessary time, in order to reapproach the situation. That is also a very important aspect of progression. Um, 
you know, and along with working with the muscles, you know, there's a certain angle that has to be taken in order to maximize the efforts that are made uh, in a safe manner. You know, it's not to say that mistakes don't happen or that we aren't already on a safe path, um, but it's pushing yourself all the while taking care of yourself. And musicians, and musicians understand that in order to improve, repetition is in store. Right, so we need to keep repeating the same thing over and over again so that we can have it ingrained in our minds and ingrained in our um, muscle memory so that we can perform it consistently um, and execute it consistently. Uh, you know, this being said, it's important to also acknowledge the dangers of over practicing uh, or of developing harmful habits that may impede over you know, your long term success. Right. And just these are the choices that, you know, you can make that are ultimately in your control. Right. There's only so much we can do to be safe um, as musicians, as people from going from day to day. You know, the and, and the end of the day, you know, life also can take you by a whim. Um, you know, there are instances where it could take you by surprise. And this is the very instance that prevented a particular musician from doing what he loved. And I'm going to talk about that Give in a second. Give me a kiss to build a dream on And my imagination will thrive upon that kiss mm, Sweetheart, I ask no more than this A kiss to build a dream on Danny Backer is an award-winning singer, saxophonist, songwriter, and entertainer. Known for his signature comedy and narrative storytelling, Backer tours across the country performing at numerous venues such as the Blue Note, Birdland, Jazz at Lincoln Center, and Carnegie Hall, just to name a few. He has released two studio albums entitled Swing That Music and Still Happy on the Wailing City Sound label. He is a recipient of the prestigious Margaret Whiting Award. Nominated for Best Male Vocalist in the 2019 National Jazz Times Reader's Poll and placed top four in the country in 2021 and 2022. Other people also shared some similar issues and mm -hmm. had that in common and to be able to like have that support group um, of, of other vocalists that went through this similar type experience and to be able to talk with them and and you know have them explain a little bit what the procedure is like and and what for example just to explain I had a polyp that developed on the vocal cords some mm -hmm. people get nodes or what they call nodules <laughs> some people get um, you know, lesions. There's a lot of different things that can go wrong with the professional voice. Mm -hmm. And when you use it as much as I have or do in, in any given, you know, week with performances or over the month and um, in, in the field as being a professional vocalist, uh, in addition to being an instrumentalist, mm -hmm. you know, abuse happens, right? Uh, and just like an athlete develops issues with like muscles or, or uh, pull something or, or tear something, same thing can happen with a singer, right? Or an actor or someone that uses their voice. Mm -hmm. And um, having that network of, of people that have gone through similar things was very helpful. 
you go into something like this blind, you just don't know what it entails, what what could actually be the result. You hear horror stories, like, mm-hmm. you know, what happened to Julie Andrews. But then, of course, the King of the Third that, that worked with uh, a doctor that worked on Julie Andrews, you find out there's a little more to that story. But, you know, you think to yourself, okay, there is a risk going under the knife that you could recover and not sound the same or not even have your voice. And mm. that's, that's a real frightening thing. Mm. And it makes you almost say, well, I guess I'll just keep singing on this injured vocal cord. But, you know, that's the bad answer because if you work with the right doctor, they're going to do their best to help save you and get things corrected. And if you keep injuring your voice, you'll get to the point where you won't be able to use it. So it was a real crossroads to kind of be at mm. when deciding to go through with this surgery. And it took me... A, good part of a year to really get the courage up and and find the right doctor that I was comfortable with that really was, you know, an expert on working with a professional voice and, and allowing me to uh, to go through with this uh, procedure. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm better off for it. So you found you found the hope through having trust and hearing stories with from other people that went through similar things, you know. So. Yeah, and, share, and sharing that, you know, because I think that it's like, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about the musical community is that it is, in fact, a community. You know, it's a small world, and we really do look out for one another. And no matter what you're going through, whether it's an issue with, like, you know, a horn player having carpal tunnel or, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, developing some nerve issues, uh, you know, someone having, like, real sore neck or, you know, being a saxophonist. I remember going through when I was younger, having to go to the chiropractor, and, like, they were telling me, because of the neck strap and all those years of playing the heavy mm. saxophone, you know, like going through the, like, oh, you've got like the neck of a, of, of a, of a 65 year old. I mean, the only thing I could think of at that time was, you know, that my neck could collect social security, which I thought was a good thing, but you know, I kind of, that wasn't uh, legal. Uh, mm. But uh, basically, you know, that's one of the reasons ergonomically I switched to the soprano saxophone was because, you know, it was lighter. And of course, I took to it in other ways. I really loved playing the soprano, but it was a little bit of a, of a thing to save my neck and my, you know, my spinal cord because things were, were it was so much pressure and so heavy. But um, you know, anything you go through, there are people in the industry that have gone through it and can help sort of support yeah. and and um, help you understand a little bit more that you're not alone. You know. Yeah, so- and even during the pandemic, one of the things I thought was so fascinating, Alvaro, was that. Um, so many people found alternative ways to continue to entertain people and and give people their artistic gifts, you know, be able to share those in very sort of, un, at the time, unconventional ways. You know, who would have thought in 2019 we'd be getting together and doing Zoom concerts for people all over the country from our own living rooms, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, that was remarkable to see how many people, how many contacts and friends and, and uh, colleagues of mine, uh, myself included, doing these alternative kinds of concerts and outdoor events, you know, and like playing in parks or playing Mm -hmm. by balconies and, 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 uh, you know, giving these impromptu concerts. I I thought that was just amazing to see how everyone was so adaptable. And it shows that there's such a need for what we do. There's a need for the people, not just a need for us as artists to be able to express ourselves, but a need for the people to to have this expression uh, Mm -hmm. given to them through the art. So... Yeah, and that in itself was a huge roadblock for I would say everybody. 
you know? Sure. And, and finding and we found finding a way, that. right? We found a way. Exactly. And that's the point, you know, when you're finding finding hope, it's just it's through the community that we're able to actually find hope. So sharing and, and expressing ourselves and talking to others. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 curious, you know, after uh sustaining this injury, are there still any obstacles that you face today? Mm-hmm. You know, um, dealing with a hoarseness that would come up. Uh, this, this has since gotten better as I've worked with different people and different vo- vocal therapists and, and uh, voice teachers to help correct some of this. Yeah. But there's still always some bad habits that creep in. And I have to constantly be aware of that. I mean, some people, it seems they have indestructible vocal cords. And I've never been that kind of person, you know. I've always had to sort of be careful and... Um, you know, constantly work with teachers and, and study with people to make sure that that I have, um, you know, the placement, mm-hmm. my voice in the right placement. Uh, I'm singing properly. Even more importantly, speaking properly, you know, without, mm-hmm. without crunching, without uh, doing some of the things that cause these problems in the first place. So it's, I think it's always just like we're always learning. I think it's always sort of a... Uh, an obstacle for me to always keep in mind and always keep working towards to correct and do do the proper um, you know procedure as a singer go through the proper procedures uh, proper warm ups mm. uh, use the tools that I've learned to um, to to do this without having uh, similar problems come up in the future. Mm. So trust in the process. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm also just like you know keep working at it. You know, always always know that there's certain things if you slip into the bad habits this problem could persist so you want to like really try to not let this come up again and be an issue i think if i could give any advice you know just like a professional athlete or a professional dancer we have to as musicians as singers have to take care do our best to take care of ourselves and when maintenance is needed which inevitably for most people it comes up you want to find the right team of people or the right person that's going to help correct what issues are, are causing a problem and maintain yourself because you want to be able to have a career that'll last a lifetime. And one of the beautiful things about music, unlike athletes or dancers who have, really have short lives when you think professionally, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, you know, not all forms of dance. There are certain forms like tap dancing you can do well into your uh, you know, 80s, 90s, and beyond. But um, for the most part, athletes, professional athletes, they they have short lives professionally, right? Um, We have the the ability and and the luxury of doing music our whole lives. So I think it behooves us as professional musicians to do our best to maintain our our instruments and our bodies uh, and our voices and what we use to create this music so we can have a very uh, fulfilling, long professional life. I had to go on vocal rest. It was like almost two weeks of complete silence. And if you can imagine, you know me, mm. that was probably the hardest thing. Because, you know, I talk a lot. It was funny because I had this little thing on my cell phone that I could type it in and it would talk for me. Mm-hmm. You could set the tempo. And I remember putting it on pretty fast so I could get <laughs> as much out as I could. It was really quite comical. My wife, my wife was having a blast with that. You know, oh, my God, he, he's actually quiet, which was what I think a lot of people said that know me. Oh. But um, 
you know, I, I remember when, when I got together with my voice therapist after the surgery. Yeah. And I was able to utter my first sentence after two weeks of complete vocal silence. And, you know, that was the most emotional time for me. Like, I remember trembling before I was able to actually speak. And before I spoke, I almost was afraid hmm. that I wasn't going to be able to say something. Like, what would my voice sound like? So out came this sound. And you know what? I, 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 I cried. And it was such an emotional moment. And it was just like this, I think, this great release and this feel of relief. That, oh, my gosh. I can, I can do this. I can talk again. I, I'll be able to sing again. And, you know, of course, everything went smooth from there on uh, out. But um, it was definitely like that anticipation, that fear leading up to that moment from the vocal silence to when I could actually say something. It was, was pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. But, you know, the best way to kind of like deal with it and cope with it is by sharing it. And I love collaboration because I feel collaboration with other people always helps to overcome any roadblocks as mm-hmm. far as inspiration goes and allows you to kind of bounce ideas off of other people. So I've always been a strong fan of collaboration. Even when I worked in comedy and I was, you know, with my brother, who was uh, my comedy partner, we were a team. It was always fun. We never, we never seemed to run out of ideas because <laughs> if one of us was kind of drying up, the other one would say, well, we'll try this. And that would get and spark these ideas. So I've always been an encourager of, uh, of collaboration. But I also feel like, you know, at, up to this point, I never tend to run out of ideas. I never tend to run out of inspiration because you get inspiration from some of the craziest places. And I think if you keep yourself open artistically to just conversations or people you meet or things you observe, you know, they always teach you that as an actor to observe and like just observe life. Take a moment. Get out of the cell phone, you know, don't think so much about what your post is going to be on social media, but just look around you and observe other people. You will, you will find that there is an endless font of inspiration to, um, to create. Mm. That's, thank, that's a good answer. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to know this was totally unplanned, right? I never, I didn't have these questions beforehand, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no, no. This is not scripted. This is a total improvisation. This is not scripted. uh, No, no. Yeah, but all kidding aside, I really do feel that, like, you know, that's kind of the way I approach creativity. And, and, uh, you know, I I think for me, more the roadblock becomes the idea of getting getting caught up in labels, you know, Mm. and and, and people wanting to to label you and brand you as something or something else. And, and, oh, he's this, or, or this is what he does. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, when you say that, then all of a sudden all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, assumptions get attached or presumptions get attached to, to what you do as an artist and, and you're not considered something else. So I always find that really the real challenge in this business. Is, uh, so many people wanting to label you and say, oh, you know, this person is that or that person is this. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. We all do it, right? Because I think it makes it more convenient. You know, it's easier to label something because then you kind of get a better understanding of what it is. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, Duke Ellington used to say, you know, this person was beyond category, and I used to love that because Hmm. he kind of, you know, he was the guy who really dug, you know, this beyond category. You really can't, this person is definitely Elvis Gerald, is Elvis Gerald, right? Nobody like her. You know, people want to be like her. There are people that, you know, emulate her and, and certainly are influenced by her, but 
you know, you can't say, you know, okay, we have a great jazz singer, obviously, but, but Adele Fitzgerald, so she's beyond this category. And I love that Duke Ellington used to say that about people because it is true, right? Everyone's sort of their own, their own person, their own artist. Yeah. So labels are tough, I think. You know, I think they can be limiting. Mm-hmm. So when experiencing labels, so try try to strive strive to avoid falling into a category. Is that would you say that? Yeah, or... well, I, mean, I think in that in that case it, it, it's originality. You know what I mean? I, I used to my mantra as a young artist was always um, this was told to me by uh, one of my voice teachers, and uh, and they said imitation is only valid until it can be replaced by originality. Mm. And that was something I always lived by. And I think that's true because we take from the best, right? And you want to certainly emulate artists that you love and that you find influential, but then you start finding your own indelible sound. You know, it's like at a certain point when you're a young artist, you start to put aside the imitation and then you want to start bringing your own voice to what you do. That's the real goal. I think that's the real idea or ideal for an artist is to then find your own way to tell the story, to tell your story, and put your own spin, your own take on something. A kiss to build a dream healing nature of sharing your story. The major takeaway that we should get from Danny's story is the importance of sharing what you're going through with others. There's a community out there that is willing to listen and that is willing to support you. The beauty of having 7 billion people on this planet is that there's bound to be at least one person that has experienced the same turmoil that you have. All you have to do is reach out and see who grabs on. By sharing your story, you are effectively sharing the burden of what you're going through with a plethora of people from all walks of life. Nowadays, you can share your story through the internet and online communities of whatever group you're trying to reach. Who knows? You might end up getting life-changing advice that allows for a new perspective to your entire life. It is dangerous to keep sadness within ourselves because it begins to build up, requiring more fuel to complete everyday tasks more fuel to keep the fire alive. I'd like to thank Jackie and Danny for their time and allowing me to include them in our venture to find hope. Remember, it's important to stay flexible, adaptable, and hopeful when trekking through your next hurdle. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. So share your story. There's always someone out there that is willing to listen. <laughs>